Good morning, Valley Forge, King of Prussia, and the greater Philadelphia area. This is We the People, the Constitution Matters, and we're coming to you over the freedom airways of WFYL. Pleased to be bringing you what we call the American view, that is, the view, the philosophy of government of our founders, which was simply put in the Declaration of Independence, there is a creator God. Our rights, secondly, come from him and from him alone. And thirdly, the only purpose of human civil government is to protect those God-given rights. If we understand and grasp that, we understand that our founders designed government to be limited, not unlimited. And we're going to talk about that issue this morning as it relates to uh, what we experienced in 2020 uh, up to 2021 with the COVID, well, whatever you want to call it, the scandemic, pandemic, whatever. Well, I'm your host, Pastor David Whitney, and I serve as the senior instructor at Institute on the Constitution. And my wonderful collaborator this fine Friday morning is Phil Duffy, our constitutional instructor, as we're talking in this series about what has happened recently, particularly the last three years, that is related to a misinterpretation of our Constitution and an abuse of power that is, oh, well, egregious abuse, abuse of power that we have experienced and uh, it has destroyed lives. Uh, it has uh, injured, seriously injured the economy. Anyway, there's many, many impacts that this, this has had. And the real question comes back to the constitutional question of what size government did we, the people, order up when we, uh, you know, when we formed this constitutional republic in our constitution? What uh, kind of government were we creating? Was it an unlimited government that basically could do whatever it chose to do, and and basically that government then becomes the determiner of its own boundaries? You know, there's nothing shy in an unlimited government that it can not say, well, well, let me poke your poke our nose into what you do uh, in uh, in in how you manage your household finances, or what food you eat. Or, you know, what clothing you buy or how you spend your, all the details of your life. An obtrusive government wants to intrude into every detail of your life because it believes its authority and power are unlimited. We would believe our founders are very clear, and we're going to discuss this later in the show, but very clear that what they designed was a limited form of government, a government that would not intrude itself into the details of our lives, but would do the simple job of defending and protecting and preserving our God-given rights. And I think we have seen in 2020, 2021, instead of protecting those God-given rights, we have seen them destroying those God-given rights. Well, Phil, why don't you bring us your thoughts on uh, this uh, particular area and particularly what uh, you know Senator Rand Paul has done, uh, I think a very good and noble work for we the people in this constitutional republic. Well, let me start with a uh, book review of uh, uh, Senator Paul Paul's uh, called Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. Ever, ever wonder if you are living in the dystopian state, uh, states of America? Senator Rand Paul's Deception, the Great Cover-Up, published October 10, 2023, does not disarm those haunting feelings. This book is not for those who wish to place everything we have learned in a memory hole during the COVID-19 control program. To the contrary, Paul is encouraging those who would pursue the truth to join him in confronting the difficult questions this period raises, including the origin of COVID-19, uh, the COVID-19 organism, 
did it arise naturally and spill over from the animal into the human species, or did it emerge as an accident from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, otherwise called WIV? He further asks what our government has done to conceal possible funding of the WIV gain-of-function research that was being done there. He explores the tangential issues, the nature of the, of the organism's transmission, the efficacy of such measures as masking, social distancing, and the selective shutting down of the U.S. economy and the nation's educational systems. Is all of this significant? Certainly, if we accept that a million Americans lost their lives to COVID-19 and five million worldwide, Senator Paul's opening salvo is aimed at how the COVID-19 organism arose, making a serious case for its having escaped the Wuhan Institute of Virology's laboratory, where Dr. Shi Zhengli had gained the international reputation as being the bat scientist. Because the book is primarily chronologically oriented, describing Senator Paul's efforts to get to, at the truth about the COVID-19 pandemic, pandemic, the reader does not at first learn who the first three victims of COVID-19 were. Toward the end of the book, however, we learn their identity. All worked in the WIV, and one, Ben Hu, was a gain-of-function researcher and colleague of Dr. Shi Zengli. Was the federal government somehow involved in funding this dangerous gain-of-function research? If so, was Dr. E.F.B. Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, from 1984 to 2022, somehow involved. The book is full of formal interchanges between Senator Paul and Dr. Fauci. If it serve no other purpose, reading these exchanges makes deception an excellent intellectual investment. The reader should be able to determine who is telling the truth. Likewise, deception focuses light on the reaction of the mainstream media to those raising questions about the COVID-19 control program. How many of us have already forgotten the drumming of the party-line message originating in government that the virus had jumped from animals in the Wuhan wet market to the human population, but that Operation Warp Speed would protect us by cutting through the bureaucracy and unnecessary pre-human testing to give us a safe and 95% effective vaccine against this new pathogen? And what did 95% effectiveness mean, if not that getting the shots would immunize it and prevent transmission in ways that herd immunity could never achieve without a devastating increase in death and hospitalizations. Deception reminds us there were attended social actions, either voluntary or coerced, that were promoted as necessary to slow the transmission of the disease. Masking was one of those measures, something visible that separated those socially responsible from those who would recklessly expose their fellow humans to such dangerous pathogens. If one cloth mask were not totally effective, perhaps two would finally trap those nasty viruses. And to be really safe, Clorox every surface touched by those disease-transmitting humans. Never mind that the medical profession already knew that surgical masks were ineffective as barriers against the transmission of viral aerosols. <clears throat> Deception reminds us of the basic math was being ignored, that the poor size of those masks was 600 times the size of a COVID virus organism. Picture taking a handful of dried peas and throwing them against a chain link fence. Then count the number of peas on both sides of the fence. 
The section identifies masking as nothing more than theater. The section also reminds us of the lockdowns that were implemented by governments, including our own, but excluding Sweden that chose to keep its economy and schools open with apparently no ill effect. It emphasizes the critical loss of education and how forced homeschooling differentially affected families. Those that had an adult at home to monitor the homeschooling survived. But those, but what about the many households where this resource did not exist? Were these families that could afford to fall further behind in education? <clears throat> the lockdown mentality seemed to bring the authoritarians out of the woodwork. The most damaging of these were state governors wishing to build an image of being tough on disease. <clears throat> Senator Paul notes that these are primarily Democratic governors, but elsewhere he finds fault with Republicans who are part of the hysteria. He specifically notes how President Trump, who unleashed Operation Warp Speed that led to the destruction of supply lines, promoted stimulating the economy by sending out substantial checks to virtually everybody. Of course, the federal government had no real wealth to disperse, so the ongoing effect was inflation and a significant increase in the federal government's debt. Deception is not easy reading. There are parts where the layperson will need to work through medical terminology, such as foreign cleavage sites. There are probably places on the web that can be accessed for further information on these subjects, but even that is not necessary. The layperson can get a sense for these concepts and how they fit into the bigger picture. It is the flow of the medical logic that matters. While deception may be the most comprehensive view of the extraordinary popular delusions and madness of crowds, see Charles Mackey's mid-19th century classic with that as title, it is missing the piece about the Nuremberg Code. The Nuremberg Code arose out of the post-World War II decision to convict the Nazi doctors who were guilty of unethical human experimentation. Seven of these individuals were executed for crimes against humanity. A thorough comparison of that code with what might be called the COVID-19 control program <clears throat> should reveal that all 10 items in the code had been violated under the latter program. That deception does not address this important piece in understanding the COVID-19 years is no criticism of Senator Paul, who has covered so many of the questions from a critical scientific and political perspective. Although government officials may have announced that the COVID-19 pandemic emergency is over since May 11, 2023, we are still living with the aftermath of the pandemic late in 2023. During the emergency period, we have seen the degree of authoritarianism, disinformation, and hysteria that was unleashed for this one fiction alone. The National Library of Medicine warns us in a study described by Morris, Woolhouse, and Gaunt that ongoing global ecological change will continue to produce novel infection diseases at or near the current rate of three per year. Do the math. If we accept that government can declare medical emergencies at will, then we acknowledge that government is empowered to eliminate our liberties at any time. This is a power even greater than that enjoyed by Hitler as he rose to become the absolute dictator in Nazi Germany in 1933. If we accept this, we fail to remember the lessons of history. And we are well along Hayek's road to serfdom. And I believe is Senator Rand Paul's contribution to liberty. He won't allow us to forget if deception, the great COVID cover-up, doesn't belong on your bookshelf. Perhaps you would enjoy it on your tablet.
or laptop instead. So let's take a look more deeply at the significance of this book. COVID-19 Control Program is a house of cards with lies stacked upon lies. The lies are absurd, even childish, but they were believed by an overwhelming number of Americans. Reasons are multiple. Fear, ignorance, but one cannot ignore the downright stupidity of the belief that the government class wished to protect the rest of us in spite of the overwhelming lessons of history. But there were also people who did not run with the herd, people like Robert Malone and Jay Bhattacharya, who questioned the alleged claims to funniest the promoters of COVID-19 vaccine were making. <clears throat> the Great Barrington Declaration, published in October 2020 with over 90,000 signatories, was an early indicator of the extent of the opposition to COVID-19 control programs. <clears throat> the first five paragraphs of the declaration suggest the nature of that opposition, as infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists. We have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies and recommend an approach we call focused protection, coming from both the left and the right. And around the world, we have devoted our careers to protecting people. <clears throat> Current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. The results, name a few, include lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorating mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come, with the working class and younger members of society carrying the heaviest burden. Keeping students out of school is a grave injustice. Keeping these measures in mind until a vaccine is available cause irreparable damage with the underprivileged disproportionately armed. Fortunately, our understanding of the virus is growing. We know that vulnerability to death from COVID-19 is more than a thousand thousandfold higher in the old and infirm than the young. Indeed, for children, COVID-19 is less dangerous than many other, for, uh, other harms, including influenza. As immunity builds in the population, the risk of infection to all, including the vulnerable, falls. We know that all populations will eventually reach herd immunity. That is the point at which the rate of new infections is stable and that this can be assisted by, but it's not dependent upon a vaccine. Our goal should therefore be to minimize mortality and social harm until we reach herd immunity. <clears throat> With this much medical opposition, one might expect that COVID-19 policies would be rethought. But the parties involved in this conflict had already placed their standards in the ground. There would be no backing away from the party line by those promoting the COVID-19 control proof. To sense the issue was no longer COVID-19 control, but control of the medical profession and the people by the governing elite. How were the COVID-19 control pro uh, promoters able to prevail? They had managed to gain the support of the major part of the medical profession. I was making a visit to a physician, physician's office after 2020 who recalled pressure to get shots. <clears throat> Typically, the pressure was not attributable to the physician, but to the medical system of which he or she was an employee. It is frightening to recognize that the best educated and the most trusted among us could be so easily swayed by propaganda. So one of the political possibilities that come out of this 
And Senator Paul is in an unusual position to get to the COVID-19 control program truth. As physician, he understands the medical logic of those in opposition to the program. Paul has also served on a number of subcommittees in the Senate, allowing him to question key officials responsible for the COVID-19 control program. He must have been Anthony Fauci's most terrifying inter- interrogator, and his pressure on Fauci is not letting up, even in the latter's retirement, according to an article that appeared in The Hill on December 2, 2023. <clears throat> Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, said he's looking forward to questioning former pandemic chief Anthony Fauci over the origins of COVID-19 during a congressional hearing scheduled for next month. Paul has been the loudest voice calling for investigations into government action surrounding COVID-19 origins, specifically into U.S. Uh, government funding of biotech research in China. He's a major proponent of the lab leak theory of COVID, but the disease's exact origin is still unknown. <clears throat> and this is a quote uh, from uh, Senator Paul. This may be the worst medical decision ever made by a scientist or physician in government, not to review Wuhan lab tests for safety before allowing this money to go to China. Paul continued. <clears throat> the senator, also a COVID vaccine skeptic, has openly called for Fauci to be jailed for his involvement in the pandemic. <clears throat> Fauci served as the head of pandemic response during both the Trump, Trump and Biden administrations. But the real question is, was the top of the food chain of the cover-up Anthony Fauci, all questioned on one uh, on Friday. Paul also alleged that the CIA may have been involved in such a cover-up, an unproven conspiracy theory. Now, there is no question that Senator Paul will seek to determine any illegal activity by Fauci at the upcoming hearing. We should note that the article is cleverly worded to discredit Senator Paul. For example, Senator Paul is pictured as a COVID vaccine skeptic. There are other ways of describing Senator Paul and his questioning of the COVID-19 control program, but calling him a COVID vaccine skeptic assigns him to a wrong-thinking group that doesn't understand the science. The comment above about Senator's, uh, Senator Paul's allegation that CIA has been involved in the cover-up is more obvious propaganda when the article speaks of an un- unproven conspiracy theory. An unproven theory is redundancy. All theories are unproven. That is why they are called theories instead of facts. It's unlikely that Paul said that the CIA was involved conspiracy to cover up its involvement in the COVID-19 control program. Conspiracies typically involve a small number of people and are first a short duration due to the difficulty in maintaining secrets. Senator Paul seems to be more concerned by the more believable force, the force of culture which can involve large number of people and can be more enduring. As a United States Senator, Rand Paul is doing his duty to investigate the possibility that one or more intelligence operations could be involved in the cover-up. But to ignore his findings, the most effective way is to dismiss him as a conspiracy nut. This brings us back to the essence of his book, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. He presents a lot of evidence that there has been a cover-up but he also makes it clear that the book cuts off mid-October 2023. He has laid the groundwork for us to consider what is yet to come, not claiming to have the final answers. So what are the limits of Senator Paul's 
uh, power to speed up bills. <clears throat> Every Senate committee and subcommittee has its own rules, which constrain a senator's power to speed up witnesses. So uh, Senator Paul has, has had to operate within those constraints. <clears throat> that is what makes senatorial investigations so political. It is reasonable to speculate uh, what could happen in the 2024 federal elections if Senator Paul is joined by new members of the Senate who support his investigatory efforts. Certainly the truth, whatever it might be, is likely to come to the surface more quickly. Senator Paul is in an unusual political position. As a presidential candidate in 2016, one might expect that he would be a candidate in 2024. So far, there is no evidence he is willing to make the effort. Although one can't rule out a draft in 2024 if no consensus Republican candidate emerges. emerges. But there is also the possibility that he recognizes that a presidential campaign would sideline his investigation of the great COVID cover-up. <clears throat> While it is important to have Rand Paul's uh, perspective on the COVID-19 control program, Dr. Bednarski's series, Nuremberg Code Violations in the COVID-19 Control uh, control program is the best place for the typical reader to begin to understand this complex subject. The advantage in that this series establishes a standard for evaluating government policy, the 10-point Nuremberg, uh, Nuremberg Code. <clears throat> Deception, the great COVID cover-up, provides an additional perspective that makes sense as an augmentation of Dr. Bednarski's work. The avid reader will wish to conclude an investigation by reading Aaron Cariotti's The New Abnormal, The Rise of the Biomedical Security State. With these three sources as background, the reader should be able to sort out claims and counterclaims related to the COVID-19 control program. Oh, thank you, Phil. And by the way, just for the listeners who didn't catch our show last Friday, last Friday we talked exactly about the Nuremberg Code and we and I thank you, Phil, for kind of walking through the 10 points of the Nuremberg Code and showing us, uh, based on uh, Badnarski's analysis, that indeed every every point of the Nuremberg Code was violated by uh, these government policies that we experienced here in uh, 2020, 2021. And, and I appreciate uh, Rand Paul's uh, excellent work here. I haven't finished reading it yet. I know, Phil, you've gotten through uh, reading it, but I'm still in the midst of it. But Deception, the great cover-up, blows the blows the whistle on what has already happened and what's been revealed. And, and as you said, these you know this uh, book was drawn to a close in October 2023. So there's more to come as uh, he seeks to investigate. I know that uh, Sean Hannity recommended the books that Dr. Rand Paul shines as a bright light on Capitol Hill on the great hypocrisy and the pursuit of power and control that cost millions of American lives. And uh, this is needed, and and we need uh, our senators to and our, our House of Representatives to investigate the criminal aspects of this entire deception and this great cover up of COVID. But I want to ask the bigger question, and in, in this light, what if everything Fauci did was accurate? You know, and what if there was no great cover up at all? The you know funding the Institute of Virology there in Wuhan to gain to do gain of function research, something that had been outlawed that said, no, 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 we can't spend any money, no taxpayers' dollars to go to any organization, institution doing gain of function. And that happened under Obama. Uh, but quickly, uh, so uh, 
that could no longer be done at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where it was being done. So Fauci found that he could, uh, you know, outsource it, you know, just send it off to China where they could do this kind of function that was not illegal in China because they don't care about human life in China. You know, they got a billion people. They don't mind if they lose, you know, hundred million, no big deal. Uh, but, uh, the big problem is we continue to fund that gain of function research. That is to make uh, a particular virus even more, uh, deadly and, and make it, uh, more rapidly spread across the human population. All these kind of researches like, Oh, wait a minute. We're dealing with a, a biological terrorist weapon. Well, you know, if terrorists get hold of this weapon, what will what will they do? They will they will unleash it on any nation, and uh, ultimately, you can't restrict it to any one nation. So, consider though, if there was no cover up, if uh, Anthony Fauci was telling us the truth about everything that he did, and and there was transparency, we could see that you know this money had gone to Wuhan, and this money had been used to create gain of function, and this you know. All of these things were true. Would there still be a problem? And I would argue, yes, indeed, there would be an enormous problem because what we have in the whole uh, set of presuppositions underlying this is the idea that somehow our federal government and ultimately our state governments as well, somehow these have a duty to be involved in our health care. You know, Obamacare was one of the examples of this. Oh, of course, the federal government has to be involved in health care because people aren't healthy. It, of course, it's their responsibility. Wait a minute. Let's pause for a second and go back and ask the, the question that our founders were addressing in creating our constitutional republic. And the question is, very simply put, what is the purpose of government? What is the purpose of government? And they stated it very clearly as we've reviewed many, many times the three points there in the Declaration of Independence. There is a creator God. Our rights come from him. And the only purpose, here's the third point that's so important in this issue. The only purpose of human civil government is to protect our God-given rights. Not necessarily to ensure that we have good health or good health care or uh, that our health is protected. In other words, they should protect our God-given right to protect our own health. And indeed, as uh, Rand Paul points out, uh, basically what the federal government is doing, the opposite is hiding from the truth that they were involved in doing research that would not only damage our health, but would kill, now the evidence is, kill millions of people. This is egregious. This is the opposite. So we have to ask, how in the world do those currently in power in Washington, D.C. get around the idea of our founders of a limited constitutional government? That only does a limited set of things, and healthcare is not one of those things. You can comb the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and the Declaration, and you can comb all the founding documents, and you'll find nowhere, nowhere is there any ad anyone advocating for the idea that healthcare ought to be under the control of the government. Now we know this idea is not brand new; it had uh, you know bubbling up origins in the 1960s with Medicare and then Medicaid, and and so government began to stick its nose into the, the tent of healthcare through those two things saying, oh yeah, yeah, we can help you out. Uh, we can help you pay your medical bills. And we know since then, of course, the federal government has taken over more and more and more aspects of healthcare. So how do they get away with this? Well, they get away with it by saying that the general welfare clause in our constitution and the preamble as well uh, as in article one, section eight, that that general welfare clause 
they take to mean this would include our health because our health is involved in our welfare, obviously, if we're sick or needing uh, help. And if we're well, we need to have preservation. You know, so they're saying the general welfare clause in the preamble of the Constitution in Article 1, Section 8 gives the federal government the authority to determine what is going to be the best for the health of the people. Well, we need to go back and ask our founders, what in the world did they mean by that phrase, general welfare? Phil, we've had some very good discussions on uh, expressing that is not a good phrase. That was a, a big mistake on their part. But if we go back and ask them, you know, what did you mean by that phrase? Well, uh, you know, James Madison's called the father of our Constitution, and he answers what they meant by that phrase in the Federalist Papers 41. And Federalist Paper 41, as all the Federalist Papers were designed to argue why our Constitution should be adopted, why it should be ratified by all the states and become uh, the rule of law in the land. And, and in defending what they did and what they wrote, this is what he has to say. And you can check it out for yourself at Federalist Paper number 41. He said, with respect to these words, general welfare, which occur both in the preamble and in Article 1, Section 8, he said, I have always regarded them as qualified by the detail of powers connected with them. Now, in other words, general welfare doesn't give, hey, whatever you think general welfare means. No, general welfare is restricted to those delegated, enumerated, limited powers that our Constitution grants to the federal government and only to that list of powers. In other words, those powers primarily uh, spoken of there in Article 1, Section 8, there's 18 powers listed there. There's a few other powers in other parts of the Constitution, like the power to conduct a census and so on, but a very limited number of powers, about 23 specific items on a list of things that we, the people, have given to our federal government that allows them to do those things. So Mattis is very clear. It's not that he ever had the idea in his mind that general welfare meant whatever seems to be for the good of the people. No, no, no. He said, I've always regarded general welfare as qualified by the detail of powers connected with them. And he continues, to take them in a literal and unlimited sense would be the metamorphosis of the Constitution into a character which there is a host of proofs was not contemplated by its creators. In other words, none of us had this in mind that we were giving to the federal government by this phrase, general welfare, we're giving to them a grant of power to determine whatever they think general welfare includes which, as he describes here, is an unlimited government. That is, if you want to think of per perhaps, a, you know, the communist regime of the USSR. In the USSR, you are not free. You are a slave to the state, and the state system would determine where you live and what kind of job and what you get paid and every, every detail of your life. And if you had opinions, opinions that were contrary to those of Joseph Stalin, for example, you know, you were going to go to the gulag. They were going to find out you expressed some opinion uh, that was contrary to what the government wanted you to believe. And uh, you have no First Amendment protection of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, freedom of expression, freedom of self. None of your freedoms that we have preserved in our First Amendment were available to any of those in uh, the communist Soviet Union. Off to the gulag with you. You disagree with the government. That's an unlimited government that says you have no rights, essentially. That's what such a government says. No, our government says the opposite. You have rights that are given to you by God 
and that are to be protected by a constitutional republic that says, we're going to limit our actions in order to maximize your liberty. We, the people, have the liberty. The government doesn't have the liberty to define the, the outlines of its powers. We, the people, have defined the outline of its powers, and we have set those in stone in the Constitution. These are the things you can do, federal government, and if it's not on the list, Article 1, Section 8, if it's not on the list, you cannot do it. You have no permission to do anything about a subject matter that is not in the Constitution. Again, I think this is uh, what we experienced in 2021. It was a, a, a shocking wake up to the reality that most of the bureaucrats there in Washington, D.C., most of the senators, Rand Paul being an exception, and most of the, those in the House, uh, and again, there were a few exceptions there as well, but not everyone went along with it, but most of them went along with this hijacking of uh, American healthcare and saying, uh, we're going to tell you what you need to inject into your arm. We're going to tell you to put on a face diaper. We're going to tell you all these things, social distancing, lockdown in your houses, all because we claim that these things are for your health, which uh, rightly uh, you, you pointed out, Phil, the, the mask. No, 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 that's a lie. That has nothing to do with your health. Social distancing was a experiment put together by a 14-year-old science student that has no, that's not that's not science the six foot social now that none of that has science behind it and indeed uh the science behind the shots themselves are extremely questionable at this point in time particularly when you look at the actual database of the vaccine injury that is kept uh, by our government by the CDC and the number of people that have died from getting a shot the number of people who have been permanently disabled i mean there's no question about it. This is not healthcare. It's not in our best interest. And I would argue what we really experienced there in 2020 was an attempt to take us to the unlimited form of government that is like the uh, communist, uh, the communist Chinese, or the communist Russians, whatever communism you want to point to. Our founders said general welfare, no, no, did not mean unlimited government. Rather, it meant the opposite government limited by the list of things in the Constitution that we, the people, have given them permission to do. So that's the definition. And, and uh, obviously, we're far from that definition in the average person's thinking and obviously in, in those who are in the political class. So is there anything we can do about it? Uh, you mentioned governors, Phil. I'm glad you did because the governors in some states were extremely tyrannical. Our Republican governor here in Maryland, a complete failure on this point. Uh, but one of the terrible governors was Michigan's governor, Whitmer. And Whitmer said, you can't buy seeds, you can't plant a garden because somehow buying seeds and planting a garden is not for your health. What? I mean, this is insane. Oh, you can't buy paint because we don't want you painting your house. You know, just insane things that were handed down as edicts from an unlimited government, an idea that we could tell you every detail of your life, whether you can plant a garden, whether you can paint your house, what you can do or not do. We, the unlimited government, will tell you. Well, these were all in violation of the Constitution of the United States, as well as the Constitution of the state of Michigan. And there is, at the lowest level of government, at the county level, the executive branch, that is the one who executes the law, at the county branch of the government, at the county level of the government, excuse me, the executive branch is the sheriff of the county. Even the Supreme Court has acknowledged that the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer in his county. No one is higher than him, not the governor, not the state police, not the FBI. No one, no one is higher 
than the sheriff at the county level. And we have a friend in Michigan, at Barry County, Darleaf is the sheriff there. And Darleaf declared to his citizens, look, all this that the governor is, is saying is unconstitutional. And I swore an oath before Almighty God to uphold and defend the Constitution of the U.S. and of Michigan. And I am not going to allow the enforcement of any of these unconstitutional edicts being handed down by Governor Whitmer. Governor Whitmer is out of her boundaries. The boundaries defined by our United States Constitution. The boundaries defined by the Michigan State Constitution. And so you don't have to shut your business down. You don't have to wear face diapers. You don't have to social distance. You don't have to do any of these things. You can go buy seeds. You can buy paint. You could do these things. Uh, the governor is out of line. And indeed, uh, we need more uh, Sheriff Darleafs across the country who recognize that the limits on our federal government, the limits on our state governments are the Constitution of the United States as well as our, our state constitution and who will enforce that. And so the people of uh, Barry County, Michigan is not a heavily populated county at all, but they had freedom during COVID in spite of a tyrannical governor. And that's that's hopeful because uh, what we're doing at Institute on the Constitution, we have a sheriff and citizens course teaching sheriffs and citizens the tremendous power that a sheriff has to rein in an out-of-control government, to bring the government back to the boundaries that are defined uh, in our U.S. Constitution and in our, in our state constitutions. Phil, your thoughts? Well, <laughs> I've been madly taking down notes as you explore each one of these these ideas, and you've gone through the logic so perfectly. All my responses, basically, uh, you've used them already. So uh, I'm sorry if if I can't add a great deal to to that. I I, uh, I would say that what if Anthony Fauci was was right that uh, the so-called vaccine, which was not a vaccine at all, is an mRNA technology that was unproven. Uh, what if, if all had worked, that there had been no side effects, that the uh, uh, vaccine had worked, it had it was 95% effective, meaning that uh, if you got the jab, uh, you would not get COVID, um, and certainly you wouldn't pass it on to somebody else. Uh, I think what you said is absolutely true. Uh, there is one thing, though, that we, we should note about this. What about what we talked about last week, which was the uh, uh, Nuremberg uh, Nuremberg Code. There are still rules of ethics that would have been violated in that case. And in a sense, it's better it turned out this way because now um, both both forces are headed in the right direction. Uh, we know that there were the violations, and it was not one or two or three, but it was all ten uh, items of the uh, Nuremberg Code that were violated. So that points in one direction. And everything that is being revealed now, coming from multiple sources, all the way from the, the declaration, the Great Barrington Declaration, uh, with its nine, 90,000 signatories. And I think all of those are basically physicians or members of the, the uh, uh, medical profession in some way. Um, it's, it's all uh, a house of cards. I mean, what is revealed has been a consistent pattern of folly and, and an attempt to, to cover up the damage. And it just keeps coming. And if if people are willing to avoid the the tendency to try to stuff bad experiences like this down a social memory hole, um, I think that there is a great deal uh, to be learned from from all of that. Um, certainly, your comments about uh, uh, the Federalist and 
Madison number 41, absolutely on track. I just have to note that in Pennsylvania, I contacted the, the offices of both uh, um, both senators, including a meeting with Arlen Specter, along with a number of other Pennsylvanians who were concerned about the constitutional issues. Uh, Arlen Specter turned out to be absolutely ignorant of the, uh, the Constitution. Uh, mm. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Are we surprised? Uh, but, well, how much of that could he dis- disguise by changing political parties at the last minute and having, you know, he went to the Democratic Party and they say, we don't want you. You're peace and garbage. You're out of here. So I think that's that's uh, uh, very interesting. So certainly that that piece is consistent as well. Um, I'm currently reading Solzhenitsyn's Mulan Car Archipelago. Oh, wow. And yeah. uh, yeah. he comes up with some really interesting insights. And uh, he pointed out that in 1917, Russia created a criminal government, which lasted 74 years. But the Russian people raised the criminals to power. And in a sense, they deserve what they got. And you imagine, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine an American author saying something like that about, about, about us? Uh, so, and you know, and, and in some sense, you're, you're right to say that we we deserve the the creeps that we have in, in Congress, the uh, Congress critters. Absolutely, if we're looking for fault, look in the mirror. I yeah, mean, most, because we have yeah. most of us deserve part of the blame. Now, because uh, we we haven't learned the standard that says these are the limits on our federal government. And enforce those standards on the people that we elect to, to, to the Senate and to the House and to the White House and so on. That, uh, you know, you just think of the, what, how did this all start? Well, it started with federal funding, federal funding of, at first at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. So federal funding in the United States of this gain of research. Wait a minute. Should we be having any federal, federal funding of research, period? I mean- yeah, some would argue, yes, all we needed, but I think That's we had saying. better <laughs> amend the Constitution before we do that, because the Constitution doesn't permit money for such subject matter as, as medical or any research for that yeah, matter. Absolutely. No question about it. And, you know, this is the thing about uh, representative government, which is a new concept. I'm not going to talk about democracy, because democracy is as bad as monarchy, but any kind of representative government puts an immense burden on the, uh, the citizenry. You have to be involved or you will, beyond a doubt, get what you deserve. Who, who is attracted to the highest levels of government? You know, there are exceptions like Rand, but for the most part, these are people who are inclined to try to impose their will on others. They love the power. They love the recognition. They love the, the, the contributions coming in from uh, all kinds of special interests uh, on on the you know in the hope that uh, those special interests will be funded in some way. And by the way, uh, when I did the other book uh, that I was working on, the uh, A Tale of Four Cities, my research revealed that for every one dollar that went to an ordinary citizen, eight dollars went to special interests in that. Oh, you mean in, in the in, stimulus in the woo- program? The stimulus check. Oh, yeah, eight to <laughs> one, and yeah. I, I can remember back when, uh, in 2009, 2008 and 2009, actually it was 2008, I think, when, when the, the issue came before Congress about the bailout. I mean, there was a virtual revolt. You know, the inside interest got their way anyway, but that was a single. Don't do it again. Here, all they do is pass out volume money to people, and they love it. Nobody's asking any questions. Hello, this is not real money. 
as you point out, the federal government doesn't have any money. So any money that it gives to us is basically stealing money from us. Uh, it's a little bit in the future, you know, because the inflation doesn't immediately hit when they you know, hand out whatever it was, hundreds of billions of dollars. And you're right to say if eight to one was the ratio, that's the ratio we were robbed. Oh, yeah, we got a stimulus check, but eight similar sized stimulus checks went to some special interests. And some of those special interests were foreign powers and so on out. Yeah foreign banks and all, you know, all kinds of other people getting this money, but we're being robbed and the inflation we're experiencing right now, you know, they, they lie to us all the time. Say, oh, the inflation is about 7%. No, that, that's, a, that's a lie. They're, they're manipulating the, the standard. If the honest uh, economists say it's more between 15 and so 15, 17% annual inflation, you think about that. Wow. How quickly that means your the purchasing power of your dollar is cut in half in, in four years. Well, actually, less less than four years. Just think of that. You'd have a dollar now. In, in the three and a half years or so, it's only worth uh, 50 cents. I, I was reading about the one terrible time in the history of Hungary where the inflation rate was so bad that the value, the purchasing power of, I forgot what their, their currency was at the time, paper currency, of course, fiat currency, but it was being cut in half every half a day. That is, you, you know... You buy something in the morning and it's double in price by the afternoon. It's just outrageous kind of inflation. We can't even, it's mind boggling, but that's, that's what happens with paper currency. And again, our constitution never permitted the federal government to make fiat currency. It says right there in plain ink, black and white, gold and silver alone are constitutional money. But we listened to the liars. He said, oh, no, no, we're just going to create this federal reserve. It's going to be good for you. Just trust us. Trust us, we know what's best. And instead, they they have been robbing us for well, it's hundred and uh, what's it, hundred and ten years now. It was uh, nineteen thirteen that the Federal Reserve was created. But when we go outside and we allow our government to go outside of these boundaries, it's destruction for our God-given rights. And in the case of COVID, destruction to our economy, destruction for jobs. I know so many people that lost their jobs during that during that. Uh, and and it was also, I think, destructive of our health, certainly destructive of our health to have our tax dollars being used for first at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and then Wuhan to create gain-of-function research in order to create pathogens that are going to kill us. What? Our own money is being used to kill us. That's essentially what we saw happen in COVID. I, I'm applauding Rand Paul for calling for an investigation calling for accountability. We hope that uh, Fauci will be you know, brought to brought to accountability for the evil that he has done. You know, there's a uh, picture on the web, uh, and I, I believe it's at uh, um, it's one of the sites where uh, you you see a a picture of a a street sweeper sweeper, and all of the the paper Hungarian money is lying in the gutter, and he's sweeping it up, not putting it in his pocket. Yeah. He's sweeping it up, and and no doubt it's being taken to a dump where it can all be burned. And you know this is the point about inflation. Um, inflation and in the the uh, hyper stage, inflation takes the currency to being totally worthless. Now think of the significance of a worthless U.S. dollar. Now think of your income streams and your accumulated wealth. How much of that is denominated in dollars? Whoa. You could be, you know, a huge part of the uh, American population could be absolutely decimated 
Now, the thing about hyperinflation is nobody can predict the point at which it comes. Nobody. It comes out of the dark, you know, mysteriously. And at some point, society realizes this, this paper is worthless and it's all over. Yeah. And, and, and we see the leading edge of that with the, the other countries of the world, particularly the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and now there's a bunch of other nations joining them. Uh, like I think the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, maybe jo- anyway, a whole bunch of nations of the world are saying, we don't need the dollar anymore. We're going to buy and sell oil and other commodities without using the dollar. And that means the dollar is coming to an end as it's, it's role that has played since Bretton Woods of being the, the, the world reserve currency. It's no longer the de facto world reserve currency. And you might say, well, that makes no difference in my, you know, I'm here in America. What difference does that make to me? Well, the reality is that much of the money that we owe to other nations, we have borrowed from them and they now want their money back. You know what? They don't want their money back in dollars. In fact, many of the nations of the world, China and other nations, they're dumping their U.S. treasury bonds as fast as they can get rid of them because they see the handwriting on the wall that the day of the dollar is going and it's disappearing. And uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, we can't uh, precisely put a pinpoint on the moment when it's going to turn to hyperinflation. But it certainly looks like it's heading that way in terms of just looking at the history of other countries where hyperinflation hit. Well, it's coming our way because the, all of those billions and billions of dollars, just think of what they did during since 2020. They increased the money supply by trillions of dollars since 2020. And every time they increase the money supply, it decreases the value of the dollars we hold in the bank and that we have an investment. Anything, like you say, is denominated in dollars. Well, it decreases in values the more they print. Well, they don't even print it these days, just do it digitally. But the more they increase the money supply, the more money in circulation, the more money chasing the same amount of goods and services, which means the price of all those goods and services is going to go up and up and up and at some point reach hyperinflation when people begin to realize, ah, those pieces of paper, like if you like they're hungry, they're worthless. You know, throw them in the street, use them for scrap, light a fire with them, but they're worthless. And that's the direction that our fiat currency dollar is headed towards. And that's why our founders, again, wisely, they had experienced this in the Articles of Confederation government before our constitution. They had experienced hyperinflation and the, the, the U.S. paper that day, those days was called the Continental. And the Continental lost value from the time of the war on, and by the time of the Constitutional Convention, was worth about a penny on a dollar. That is, you could only buy about a penny's worth of goods with a Continental dollar. And they realized, this is a disaster. We want to prevent this disaster from ever happening again. And that's why they wrote it into our Constitution. But because people don't know that, and people don't know our Constitution, we've allowed our federal government to go off the gold standard and uh, create this, this disastrous fiat currency. Now, how many Americans fully understand the economic law of supply and demand? Now, everybody understands price, basically. They go to a store, they, they see a price, and they say, well, gee, bananas haven't increased over, over 10 years in price. But wow, look at the cost of medical services and education. Education goes, oh, something's going wrong. I mean, they understand that level. But how many understand the significance of supply and demand? It's, it's fundamental. If you do not understand that fully, you cannot survive in a modern society. And 
you know, what happens to those offshore dollars? You mentioned the fact that, oh, that's that's somewhere out of the country. It doesn't bother us. Oh, yes, it does. Supply and demand. What happens when those dollars are dumped, as you pointed out? What happens? Suddenly, if you have too many dollars available, they're worth less. I mean, it's basic economics. And our educational systems have failed us. How many high schools are teaching economics? And certainly, how many high schools would be teaching free market versus that baloney called Keynesian economics. So we're, we're headed for some rough times, and uh, I think it'd be wise to uh, stock up on things that uh, do have value. Well, you know, food, for example, that, you know, food in cans and other things that can be preserved or gold and silver, uh, you know, many different things that you might be able to use as a means of bartering when the paper currency becomes worthless. But I, I think they have a plan, and this is my supposition. Again, I'm not a uh, profit, I can't tell exactly, but it, I think their plan is when they crash the dollar, when they finally bring it to a disastrous end, they're going to say, oh, here, here's the solution to the problem. We will give you a digital coin. Yeah, we'll give you digital currency in exchange for your dollar. But with digital currency comes absolute, total, totalitarian control of your money. Digital coins can be turned on and turned off so that they, and they, they can even be programmed to say you can buy uh, you can buy some rice here, but we're not going to allow you to buy a T-bone steak. I mean, that's how specific the kind of control grid uh, can be imposed using digital currency with a digital ID. And and I know that these are the things being talked about that and being planned for. So I think that's what they're going to ultimately do. But I do think that we as people, if we have items that we can use to barter with one another, we can step outside of their controlled economy. And we could say, we have a God-given right to buy, to sell, to trade, to exchange. You know, you got these items and I want those items and I've got certain items that you want. Let's come to an agreement as to the amount of each of that and let's just barter. Let's just exchange. And that's a more difficult way, obviously, of doing uh, business. But it may be what we are reduced to if we will not go along with their absolute beast control system of digital currency and, and digital ID. Well, this is We the People, the Constitution Matters, examining these issues. And if you'd like to communicate with us, use my email, dwhitney at theamericanview.com to check out the website, 1180wfyl.com. And check on the podcast, go down to the bottom of the list, We the People, right there at the bottom. And encourage your friends, encourage others to join us as we examine these vitally important issues here at We the People, the Constitution Matters, Friday mornings at 8 a.m.